Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. And we continue this mini-series on property horror stories, this time focusing on tenants. Now, I consider myself quite fortunate as a landlord as I really don't have that many stories to share in this area, thank goodness. However, with a little help from my friends, there are some tenant horror stories that you would not wish to encounter, I'm sure. So let's have a listen right now. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Okay, some uh, tenants from hell stories then, if you like, uh, with a little help from my friends, as I mentioned. So the first one is uh, titled, Not So Lovable Rogue. Now, Haley is a lovely lady who genuinely likes to help people out. I know this firsthand as she's been giving so much of her time, contacts and expertise towards me at various times over the years um, in property. So to hear this story of hers is particularly upsetting and a little bit distressing as well. Haley has a rather nice flat in a sought after postcode in London. She's rented it out without problem both before and after this story, but this one bit quite hard, sadly. A young man wanted to rent the flat. Now, previous landlord references were not available due to him living at home with his parents, which all sounded plausible enough. So he duly passed reference checks and collected the keys to the property. The deposit and first month's rent were paid without fuss. Then it started to go wrong. The second month's rent was delayed, as was any contact to explain the situation. Finally, contact was received along with an apology that a family member had apparently passed away and he had to attend the funeral, which was abroad. Rent was finally paid around four weeks late. The next month was like Groundhog Day, although this time no family bereavement, just another excuse of My mate was supposed to pay the rent. Sorry he hasn't, but I'll take care of it. He didn't. That's when Haley realised that all was not well. And to cut a long story, and a very stressful story at that, short, no more rent was paid, no contact was received, and a property inspection confirmed that the flat was not lived in, but it was just used as a postal address. A long, arduous and very costly court process, including bringing in landlord action, finally resulted in possession being regained around eight months later. The total loss by this time was around £11,000, including lost rent, legal and court costs, and rectifying the damage to the property. Yes, ouch. During the process, Haley looked up the tenant on social media and Google and to her shock and surprise discovered that he was previously convicted of a serious assault. His uh, time living at home seemed to include several years at Her Majesty's pleasure. 
Further digging suggested additional criminal activity. At the court hearing, he didn't show up, but has gone to ground and cannot be located to enforce the court order duly awarded in Haley's favour. Haley probably didn't do very much wrong here, to be quite honest with you. She appointed a letting agent who did ID, earnings and other reference checks, which broadly checked out. So what steps could have been taken to try and avoid or at least limit the damage here? Well, in the wrap-up section later, we'll discuss some steps that might have helped. The second story I wanted to share is uh, I've titled When a £500 council bond ends up costing £15,000. Now, Nicholas Stott uh, runs a letting agency in the Liverpool, Wirral and Cheshire area called Homeshore Property. So he has seen a few things in his time. In fact, I started our conversation by saying perhaps the worst situation that I had faced with a tenant was one where, sorry, where one died in the property. His response was that, uh, that he thinks that they're in double figures now with tenant deaths. He wasn't referring to anything wrong with the properties or indeed his management of them, I hasten to add. In chatting to Nicholas, a, a few stories stood out and this is one of them. A landlord that lived a long way from the property uh, appointed his agency to rent it out, quote, at the highest rent possible for the area. And this is mainly as he seemed to have overpaid for the property and, and so was under pressure to achieve a high return. And this led to considering a tenant on benefits that came with a deposit bond from the council of £500, but with the promise of the highest rent along with direct payments, which compared favourably to others that had also seen the property at the time. The problems began when the tenant had their benefits cut, with the amount assessed for housing reduced from £160 a week to just 50 pence per week instead. And clearly this placed a significant strain on the tenant's finances. As Nicholas observed, when the benefit cap is hit, which is usually £500 a week at the time of recording, the individual benefit cut first is the housing benefit, rather than reducing the total benefits proportionately. And this means the tenant has to work this out for themselves, and so take money from other benefits, such as income support, to pay for their rent. And this, of course, ultimately adds to the housing crisis and the social housing crisis in particular. Add to this the general advice that is often provided by Citizens Advice Bureau and local authority housing departments to for tenants to simply sit tight and await eviction when in arrears, and you can see how this snowballs. But contrast this advice when things go wrong with the beg to let you, uh, sorry, beg to let approach of a benefits tenant at the front end, as, uh, as Nick explained to me. And it does all rather seem a little bit bizarre and lopsided in this sector at times. In this particular case, the tenant refused access and then it took months to go through the courts to regain possession for non-payments of rent, which was further compounded by an error by the court itself. Possession was only regained when the bailiffs came around to visit, at which time uh, besides significant rent arrears, the property was also left in a terrible state of squalor, disrepair and damage. 
To add to the landlord's burden, the tenants left behind their possessions, which the landlord was then responsible for safekeeping as what's known as bailey in possession for a period of between two to four weeks to allow the tenant time to return to reclaim them or they could face a claim from the tenants if not. All in all then, the landlord had costs of £15,000 in lost rent, court fees, eviction costs, repairs and damage. And the story made the papers in fact. Just Google Mersey Horror House. When, uh, sorry, when asked to comment, the council said the landlord had failed to renew the property bond after the first year. But this was not strictly correct, as in fact the tenant refused to sign the tenancy renewal, again leaving the landlord somewhat stranded. Having said that, the property bond was for the equivalent of a tenant deposit of £500, so would not have made much of a dent in the losses suffered by the landlord anyway. Nicholas Saisley said, The highest rent does not always translate into the highest profit when all factors are taken into account. It's often more profitable to take less rent. I wanted to wrap up the episode with a few more sort of shorter uh, tenant tales, if you like, from both Haley and, uh, and Nicholas. Um, unfortunately, they fed me quite a lot uh, for this week's uh, episode. But here's another one from Haley, uh, which was where she had let a property to a young working couple with no kids and no pets, only for this to turn into a single mother on benefits, pregnant with a second child, uh, along with two small dogs in tow within six months. <laughs> I don't know how that's even possible, but there we go. Okay, so people's situation and circumstances do change, and we should be aware of that. Showing support and understanding to help stabilise the situation where possible. The thing here was that Haley's mortgage terms and insurance specifically prohibited the letting to tenants on benefits. Whilst controversial, she was left with no option but to refuse the renewal of the tenancy and ask the tenant to vacate. However, the tenant has since taken advice and has not paid any more rent and has now reported a number of faults with the property that apparently were not there before. And the merry-go-round of enforced court action and delayed eviction starts all over again. So Haley is now awaiting to regain her property at a huge cost in the meantime. Another one from Nicholas was where a couple failed the reference checks because the boyfriend of the couple uh, worked a zero-hours contract. It's quite common these days, actually. However, the partner was able to pass the reference checks alone, so they agreed to let the property to her, but with the boyfriend as a named occupant, rather than as a tenant on the tenancy agreement. The couple subsequently split up, of course, and the girlfriend left, leaving the boyfriend in the property still. Remember, he's just a named occupant. However, it transpired that named occupants also have rights, quite strong ones in fact, and so he could not be removed without a formal court eviction process. And here's what he did next. Well, apparently transpires he was growing weed. Not just the odd plant, but a full-on cannabis factory. And this meant bypassing the electric meter, ripping down walls, stapling doors closed, and basically destroying the property. Meanwhile, he refused to pay rent as the eviction process was slowly grinding away in the background. 
After possession was granted, but before bailiffs arrived, he left the property with the back door open, <coughs> rubbish bags including food waste inside the kitchen, and the heating on full blast to create a perfect rat-friendly environment. He also left the gas on the cooker turned on, and the heating on full blast, of course no longer by bypassing the meters, purely to spite the landlord with extremely high utility bills and a rat infestation problem to deal with when he uh, reclaimed the property. Nicholas also seems to have lots of tenant stories involving animals for some reason. As he put it to me, other stories include snakes and spiders, a zoo come house, and uh, us looking after a turtle in our office. The snake story was particularly frightening as it related to me, where a couple vacated before eviction but left behind a five-foot python in the hall for them to deal with. Okay, so whilst these stories are at you know the more extreme end of the scale, it has to be said, there are some common tenant problems which I'm about to, to go over. Of course, we've got rent arrears and non-payment of rent. That's probably quite a common one. But there's things to do with permissions, such as not, not receiving permission for having pets, uh, undertaking decorating, fixes on the walls, and so on. Repairs, maintenance, and damage disputes, such as damp versus condensation, which happens quite a lot. Lifestyle changes can affect things. It isn't always actually a damp problem down to the property itself. New for old replacement of, uh, of, of items. Tenant versus landlord responsibility for works, and so on. Then we've got access being denied for inspections or viewings and that kind of thing. Or deposit disputes such as fair wear and tear, cleaning, damage, final rent unpaid, and such things. And then there's the legal issues resulting in delayed possession such as deposit uh, protection, non-issue of prescribed information, non-compliance of regulations or responsibilities, failing to fix repairs, tenant harassment or procedural mistakes with paperwork and the, pro and the court process. So what are the lessons we can learn from this and steps we can take to help protect ourselves then? Well, guess what? The first one is due diligence. I say this every week at the moment, don't I? But, you know, as ever, undertake um, full reference checks, include social media and Google searches, undertake a, a professional application process with supporting information to back up what's being said, including copy bank statements, address checks, and landlord employer references. Second, communication expect and expectations rather. Set out what is expected of the tenant at the outset, both in person or orally and also in writing. And make sure any issues that are spotted, such as uh, at inspections, are communi communicated at the time and followed up in writing. And then follow up on it later on as well to make sure it's, uh, it's, it's been implemented or acted upon. Third, protection measures. Take a deposit, take rent guarantee insurance or consider taking rent guarantee insurance or at least have a contingency fund in place. Then have landlord contents insurance that includes cover for rent arrears, legal support and malicious damage unless you have very deep pockets. Remember, a deposit is usually worth around a month's rent or so, 
But horror stories, such as the ones we shared today, resulted in a loss equivalent to one or two years, uh, two years of rent, that is. Equally, a detailed inventory with photographic evidence can avoid many of the problems with deposit disputes at the end of the tenancy. Fourth, experience and knowledge. Know the law and each other's rights. Become an accredited landlord and or appoint a respectable letting agent that is also a member of a recognised trade body. And do not go it alone if things do go wrong with the tenancy or with the tenants. Instead, get professional support in to get it right from the beginning and reduce the stress to you as well. Equally, certain tenant types and uh, special cases can involve complex legal issues to navigate, including benefit tenants. I'm not saying don't rent to people on benefits, as there are plenty of decent tenants that receive benefits that don't cause any problems and just want somewhere decent to live. Although these don't make the headlines. In fact, Nicholas shared with me one of his best tenants has been in a property for 11 years, has always paid rent on time, I think actually in advance. Of course, that doesn't make the headlines, does it? But, you know, just that, uh, you and or the letting agent needs to be highly experienced and, all, and up to date with the law and the processes to navigate this sector is what I'm saying. But then recognise that there are risks associated with the special cases that might mean the paper yield does not reflect the actual yield received in the end. Number five, a common sense approach. So be reasonable, balanced, and take a step back if situations start to arise. Treat it as a business, but when things change, as often they do with a tenant's circumstances, try and encourage a dialogue and a sensible and manageable resolution. Do the modern day background checks using social media and the internet to weed out those bad apples. Set the right example yourself by providing a safe, warm, damp-free and fully working home for your tenants to enjoy. Undertake repairs and fixing problems as they arise promptly. And remember that properties do need maintaining and items such as carpets, white goods and decor do degrade with normal uh, wear and tear from, from everyday living. So don't be too nitpicky when ten a tenant vacates or asks for something to be fixed. Finally, protect yourself from danger and recourse by avoiding harassment or threats and enlist professional support rather than be directly confrontational if things do start to go south. Now, obviously, this feature does focus on some pretty bad situations that have and can arise with tenants. However, to put things into a more balanced perspective, I've not had too many uh, tenant ho uh, horror stories myself. I'm touching wood as I say this. And, uh, and that's why I had to enlist the support of Haley and Nicholas here. Nicholas was also at pains to explain that the reason he has so many stories to share is that he has been involved in managing properties for 14 years now, currently handling 500 different properties. So it's more a case of probabilities than anything else relating to his, uh, his own sort of personal experience and nature. However, do expect a few niggles along the way as we're talking about people and the homes they live in. Things do break or wear out and people's circumstances do also change at times as well. Adopt a business-like approach and many of the problems cited can be avoided or if not managed 
or protected against to help reduce the chances of, of us facing a tenant horror story of our own. Okay, so <laughs> that's another horror story uh, shared again this week, obviously relating to tenants. And I'm just going to signpost you now. The show notes can be found over the website, thepropertyvoice.net. Or if you want to talk about anything from today's show, or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. Once again, though, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.